Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network, a station dedicated to the concept that all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Join Reverend Terry Power HP, Robin McKean, and all the hosts for programming covering a wide range of spiritual topics, right here on Blog Talk Radio. Absolutely. Most certainly so. And uh, after we hear uh, 
from Tony, I'll, I'll share what uh, I've been doing in that particular area. Fantastic. Tony, I was just going to respond to Brandy. I was going to say it's, it's funny that she should mention having um, a child at, at her theurgic ritual because I had the same sort of experience when I was last at Sacred Harvest Festival. Um, I had a woman come up to me and because I was going to be teaching classes that were related to Greek mythology, um, she asked me if her son could participate. And he also would have been 10, 12 years old, something like that. He was a Percy Jackson fan and um, <laughs> wanted to learn learn something real. And um, and she said he'll be well-behaved. And he was fantastic. He sat there very quietly, very respectfully, and when he did ask questions, they were very intelligent questions, and um, and before I left, I recommended a couple of texts for him to, um, for his mother to purchase for him so he could go on in his development, but uh, I think it's fantastic when children um, develop an interest in the sort of thing that we're doing, because after all, we have to pass the torch to someone, so it's, it's wonderful seeing that there is interest like that in the community. Uh, yes, indeed, uh, and th that interest is there, um, not so much in uh, the theurgy, because uh, the kids don't know about theurgy, but in uh, Greek mythology. And uh, I, I, I've just, been I, I just wanted to say one, one more thing. In the case sure. of this kid, he was hev heavily into Percy Jackson, and, and as you know, um, the Percy Jackson novels are kind of based on Greek mythology, and I've noticed that over the years where children get immersed in, in um, Hollywood-type fantasy and then they want something real. So they may start off getting into the Harry Potter books and then they want to get into something real. And it's the same thing with the Percy Jackson books. There, and there are quite a number of movies out there on a Greek mythological theme. So the, the next step is, if you're totally intrigued by what you're watching, find out what the reality is behind the fantasy. Uh, very correct, and we give out Percy Jackson books in our uh, literacy program that is uh, based on Greek mythology. That started uh, uh, publicly in the uh, early 2000s when we were in Pennsylvania um, in terms of kids programming, and it's been continuing uh, ever uh, since. And uh, what we do is uh, we take them into the myths uh, in ancient times, uh, in modern times, and then we introduce either science fiction or superhero elements into it. And uh, then we give away uh, books that are Greek mythology themed. And we also support like STEM and STEAM and other uh, library programs. Uh, so like, for instance, with the STEM and STEAM, we go to the, uh, in mythology and in actuality, there was technology in ancient Greece. The stories have uh, uh, robots in them and uh, uh, sun chariots and things like that. So those are you know, very easily integrated into the, um, the interactive storytelling of the role playing. Um, and uh, um, the kids uh, also start reading more. Uh, to figure out how to beat the monster. So it really increases the amount that they're reading because they want to win. And it encourages them to think outside the box. And uh, also they develop, these are usually the kids that aren't included in the cliques in school. And uh, through mm -hmm. the interactive storytelling, they wind up being the focus of their own clique. 
And uh, we've heard many times, we used to do it in a homeless shelter uh, not too long ago, uh, and we heard from the people working in the uh, homeless shelter uh, that uh, the kids were telling the kids at school about it, and uh, the kids at school were jealous because they weren't homeless <laughs> and able to, to fight monsters <laughs> and things. So, yeah. But, uh, uh, yeah, the, the kids love it, and it is true, as you said, Tony, a, a lot of people in this culture – uh, come upon uh, theurgy and all the philosophy and uh, uh, ancient Greek history through uh, the love of mythology. And Percy Jackson is an excellent uh, uh, presentation of that mythology for modern young adults. Absolutely. And to return to Brandy's question, uh, we had done a festival also. That's how this whole radio show came about, in fact, uh, at this uh, festival that we did. Robin Keane uh, had held it. I don't remember what it was called, but it was here in uh, the Northeast. And uh, we were vendors and pr uh, we did workshops and we did all sorts of things. And uh, I did one of those interactive storytelling games uh, for kids and gave away books there. So that was a very popular um, activity. And uh, currently I'm working with uh, um, Amber Dragon, which is a metaphysical store. And we're now exploring the possibility of having uh, this type of game for pagan kids where we can be, you know, freer with uh, the, the information that we share. Oh my gosh. That's a wonderful thing. Hercules. Do you, do you have something on the web or is there something that you can share? Um, if, if one of us goes back to sacred harvest, they have lots of children and they're all pagan children. So that would be a wonderful thing to do with them. I'll send you the links. I'm, I'm writing a business plan for this now to expand it. So I'll send you the website. It, it's a little out of date, but it has all the information there. I'll email it to you after the show. Oh, that's fantastic. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, did you guys have any other ideas uh, with kids? One of the things we used to, to do also is uh, I'm Hercules. So I'd be recruiting for adventures. And they've read Percy Jackson and uh, you know a similar type of books. So I would uh, test their knowledge in the different monsters and Greek mythology and ask them what their heroic skill was. Uh, and then we have the Junior Superhero League, uh, where the kids uh, create either mythological or superhero characters, and they pick something in the world that they want to fix. So we've had in the past, like a little girl concerned about electricity, and she designed her costume, and she would go around telling people to turn off lights when they weren't uh, using the electricity. It was really <laughs> fun and funny. Uh, but the kids really get into that, that kind of thing. Oh, my gosh. You know, I should um, – I'll, I'll mention that to the people who run Sacred Harvest because they have a very substantial children's population and children programming, um, and, and I bet they'd love you to come out and do that. Oh, that would be awesome. I love doing it, and I, I wind up doing it a lot. Do you camp? <laughs> Do you go camping? I was an explorer <laughs> when I was a teenager. So. Yeah, yeah it's oh, a camping festival for sure. Um, Tony, I've been monitoring your Facebook too, and you've been more vocal on uh, different uh, causes uh, as well. Um, would you like to share a little bit more about that? Um, I've just been worried about what I see happening. Um, in America, um, there are there are proposals to, um, uh, to to encroach upon national parks at the moment. Yeah. Uh, we're looking at um, encroaching on California's giant Sequoia National Monument. Um, we're looking at allowing development there. Um, prior to that, there was talk about allowing fracking in areas adjoining national parks, and um, 
the problem with fracking is that it destabilizes the ground. Um, so not only do you get do you get polluted water coming out, so people in the area, when they um, turn on their taps, the water comes out black. In Australia, we even have a creek which is so polluted by fracked water that you can light a match and the whole the whole creek starts to burn. It's, yes, you'll you'll find that online. It's 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 really scary stuff. And the other thing is that because it destabilizes the ground, it actually causes earthquakes to happen in areas that have never really experienced earthquakes to a significant degree before. Um, then, of course, there's allowing um, pipelines on, on sacred ground. So that's going to affect indigenous peoples and the pollution that will also affect animal life. Uh, no one seems to be taking into consideration how interlinked we all are um, by us. I'm, I'm referring to us with other people, with animals, with the environment, with everything else. So by allowing development like that, which is purely for the sake of short-term profit, you're upsetting the natural order of things, the, the delicate balance that, that, we, that we should have in nature. So I'm basically doing what I can, trying to draw people's attention to it, hoping that my, my small contribution makes a little bit of a difference. But, you know, as we all know, the problem with doing anything on social media is you never really change anyone's mind. But it's like water pouring onto rocks eventually does start to wear them down. But you don't want to do it excessively so people turn you off water altogether. Um, I would like to offer you, if you'd like it, uh, some time on uh, one of my podcasts. If you'd like to go beyond uh, expressing your concern on social media, you can invite people and talk to them like we're talking now, uh, if you'd like, if you feel strongly enough about a particular issue. And, Brandy, this goes for you, too. Uh, that's the okay. next step. We're moving. I've, I've already gone there with my uh, political hosts. Uh, and we're going there with the wellness hosts, too. So uh, uh, if you guys would like to do a show, we'll start off monthly for like 30, 40 minutes, and we'll take it from there. Uh, but I'd be open to that possibility because it, it, it furthers uh, theurgy as well as uh, uh, helping to raise awareness and uh, ind- address uh, certain things that are going on. I think that's a yeah. wonderful idea. That sounds great. And and I had this conversation too, Tony, with um at, at Sacred Harvest Festival. There was a woman there named Grandmother Elspeth and she's quite concerned about the future, as am I. The um the young people are killing themselves because they don't see a future. And so she was talking about how can we how can we um how can we save the future for people? How can we give them hope? And there was a, a man there whose name is Wade, I'll I'll get his last name in a minute. Um who who has an intentional community, and he says he does uh, one-on-one conversations, and he knows how to uh, talk with someone to to start cracking that that bubble. People um, have this this sort of self-referential bubble, and it's very difficult to go up against it directly. So he has a, a Socratic questioning method. He'll say, you know, okay, well, what makes you say that? Have you looked at this this piece of information here? And and he begins to to work with them one-on-one. He says it is it is difficult. On social media, people just ignore it. But uh, on one-on-one conversations, he has some success. So I encourage you to keep doing it. I think it's important to keep it in front of people. Um, it is. Uh, I, I actually um, um, wasn't aware of the the fracking. That one slipped past me because you know there's so much in the news that um, 
to process that I hadn't I noticed that one. So I, I encourage you to, to keep doing it, but but also um, to have in-person conversations too. And I like the idea of, of leveraging the Socratic method. That's a very interesting thought, and it's right on our topic. Um, Brand, I just wanted to, to clarify one thing. When you talk about kids killing themselves, do you mean that literally as in suicide? Yes. Yeah, there, wow. there are young people who are killing themselves because they don't feel that they have the future. Yeah, it's something that concerns me very, very much. It concerns grand, grandmother Elspeth very much too. Yeah, it's it's really true and it's it's very frightening. Um, and it's it's a deliberate uh, attempt to take the future uh, by people in power to take literally own the future, right? Um, it's it's true. There, um, but but um, our my job, our job is to is to create a possibility of a future for, for people to, to literally reclaim the future for people who, who can move into it and live there. Um, so yeah, I, it, it's an ep- epidemic and it, it's very sad and very important. I heard, I heard an interview with Marilyn Manson a few years ago and he claimed that there were a number of teenage boys coming up to him who were suicidal and mm-hmm. What he did was he gave them hope by exposing them to Satan, and that basically gave them hope, and they didn't commit suicide. I'm not suggesting that we introduce people to Satan. That's not that's not what we're about. But same 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 sort of method: introduce kids to the gods that we work with, show them how real the gods are, and show them that there is a possibility for. For, ch- for changing the world, if enough people, if enough young people come together, um, suicide is, it, it's, it's cowardly, but the thing is it's also a, a very selfish solution because no person's an island, and when a person suicides, they hurt their family, they hurt their friends, and they don't really solve anything, they don't really achieve anything. So it takes courage to commit suicide. Um, I I certainly couldn't do it. But if you had Mm. people who feel strongly about things to contemplate suicide, if they put their energies towards making positive changes, but because they're feeling hopeless, they feel that there's no way that they can channel their energies. So I think it would be very important for us to show that there are ways that they can channel their, their frustration, their hurt, their pain in a very constructive fashion. Yeah, this that's right. Is, wow, I was not expecting to have this discussion today, but oh, we could really make a difference in the world. We really could. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Um, wow. I I wrote a piece for Llewellyn for the Llewellyn's Complete Book of Ceremonial Magic. Uh, they they asked me to do the future of magic, and I started with first we need a future. We need to believe that there is a future that we can move into. Um, and yeah. I, I did a lot of study. Yeah, I did a lot of study of future studies. Um, they call it futures plural and studies plural because there's more than one future um, and, and the way to move out of it is to encourage people to have visions of the future to, to write down what um, and, and work with other people to create ideas of the future that, that then we can put our energy into to creating so it really is uh, one of the, the top priorities for me to continue to do that kind of work and to, to, put, that, um, to put that kind of hope out uh, I feel like it's very important yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. No, I feel what you're doing is very important, and I find myself uh, 
um, operating along the same lines, uh, uh, increasingly instead of focusing on uh, problems, uh, focusing on the picture of what future you'd like to live in. Uh, and yes. then, uh, like, for instance, here in uh, Tenafly, it, it's a very nice place to live. Uh, we have our challenges also, but uh, um, I heard a few people call it Camelot. So I've been using that uh, picture uh, of where I live to, to, to describe where I live and to get people excited about where we live. And uh, it seems to be having an effect in that, uh, um, in addition to the negative things I hear people say, I hear people saying increasingly more uh, positive and hopeful things. So it, it's, it's like you said, Tony, with the water slowly wearing away the stone, uh, but it does work. And uh, if you keep repeating the positive and focusing on the positive and focusing on a bright future, um, people will start reframing how they experience how they explain what's happening to them and create a better future rather than, you know, living in a doom-filled future uh, with no hope of a, uh, of a possibly good outcome. Yeah. And one of the I, things I that's think, really I difficult. Think... Go ahead, Tony. It's your turn. Yeah. Uh, no, I don't want to cut you off. I mean, you go first. I'll come up to you. Okay. Um, it, what, one of the things really difficult right now is that we are getting a lot of messaging about what's happening with the environment, as, as you were uh, talking about, Tony. And one of the messages that we're getting from science is that it is too late. The earth is already dead. That's one of the things that's causing the sense of hopelessness. So it's important to face the reality of what is going on while also asserting that we do have a future. Um, and I think one of the places that I go is that the scientific worldview is a mechanistic worldview. It's a mechanical worldview. Um, and there's a, there are technical reasons for that, right? Um, the world is a mechanism, and we have detected this mechanism is broken. But the world is actually a living organism. And I firmly – I see that when we stop – actively stop hurting the earth, that the earth begins to heal. So our, our job is to make that stop, but also to continue to have the hope that the earth is a self-healing um, organism that can heal once we have, we have stopped. So it's, both things are, are critical and important. It's important to stop doing damage, and it's important to continue to hope that the earth will continue to live. Well, the, the Gaia concept certainly is incredibly important. It's something that the ancients believed, and it's yes. something that science is skirting around the edges of. Um, uh, what's his name? Lovelock, I think his name was, um, who was one of the scientists involved in looking for, for life on Mars, actually came up with the, with the whole concept. And it, it's a matter of showing how everything in the Earth is integrated together. Because prior to him, people would look at, look at um, biology separately, climate separately, and everything else. He showed how, how everything was interconnected. So we're basically going back to... Um, an ancient worldview, but what I was actually trying to say before was that we don't have to rediscover the world because a lot of the groundwork has already been laid insofar as people are thinking in terms of sustainability. Sustainability has been um, quite a catch cry for the, for, for the last couple of decades, and people are thinking in terms of moving towards things that won't hurt the earth. So we're slowly moving away from fossil fuels. We're embracing um, renewable energy, wind energy, solar energy. A, a lot more people are starting to move towards vegetarianism, plant-based diets, because um, meat production 
has um, an incredibly deleterious effect on, on the planet. And by reducing your, I'm not talking about cutting meat consumption altogether, I'm not sure if that will ever happen, but by reducing meat consumption and incorporating more plant-based foods, we are making, we, we are improving the things, things on the planet. So we don't, a, a lot of the mechanisms that we need to embrace are already in place. It's a matter of linking those together and incorporating spirituality into it, incorporating theurgy into it to, to, to make it more, more meaningful. That, that's, I'm just sort of expressing how I feel at the moment. I'm not sure how much sense I'm making. No, that makes lots of sense to me. Oh, cool. Yeah. You're being good. And I was thinking, too, about, um, you, uh, oh, who was the biologist you just mentioned? Love Lock? Love Lock. Um, yeah. And I... Yep, love, and I think yeah. about Lynn Margulis too, because she she helped to create this idea of a single Earth organism, um, and and we um and I, I'd like to remember her as well. And the way I put it, um, the the term I'm I'm using right now is living Earth home, because people can relate to the idea of home and also living Earth. And so I, sometimes I call I say mother because people re- relate to that, but really it's not a gendered idea. The idea is that the the Earth. It, herself, himself, the earth is a living organism and a single living organism that we are within. That's a really, it's an interesting thought and an important thought. One of the conceptualizations is that we're walking around on the earth and there's it, the earth is beneath our feet and the air is above our heads. But if you think of the earth as a single organism, the atmosphere is part of that same organism and it ends 300 feet above our, 300 miles above our head. So we are literally walking around within a living organism. We are part of a living organism. And that's a, a profound shift of image that really helps to give people an understanding of uh, interconnectedness. Oh, most certainly so. You're right. Um, I have something I'd like to throw out on the table. Um, I'm forming a nonprofit organization between now and the end of the year. And uh, so far, Argonauts have been helping me, uh, you know, with it and pull together. And we're going to focus on uh, the elements, you know, earth, air, fire, and water, with uh, a fire being uh, not only food, but also fuel that we use to uh, keep our society going. And it's going to be concerned with uh, human well-being and the well-being of animals as well. So um, right now we're playing with structuring that and coming up with uh, an activity uh, that we can start supporting uh, in any way that we possibly uh, can, uh, and then just keep building on that. Um, I would love to welcome you guys uh, to be on our board, and this way we can, at least for that effort, bring theurgic principles into the decision-making. What's the um, what's the the organization uh, planning to do? You're talking about you're talking about the elements, but I wasn't clear what the mission was. Um, the mission is to you know, it's it's another Argonaut type of adventure. I have those every now and then. I've had them for very many <laughs> years. Where uh, people come, we flock together, and we do something. Whether it's addressing uh, literacy or um, you know, any other, the, the digital divide, that one got very, a lot of publicity in New York City, uh, like a decade and a half ago. Um, and uh, so, you know, we have this adventure. I send out a call, people come, uh, interfaith is welcome. 
uh, if you want to serve your God and your God is not one or your goddess that is usually welcome in these endeavors, I'll welcome you uh, here. We had the uh, Hellenic pantheon, the Celtic pantheon, um, what do you call it, uh, dark pantheons that usually don't get to do uh, socially uh, helpful things. Uh, we had vampires, <laughs> we had werewolves, we had UFO abductees. We had all sorts of groups that did it in the name of you know their uh, um, pantheon, the pantheon they serve, but we addressed a problem, you know, there was a social problem. We all shared the human condition, so we addressed a human problem. And uh, uh, the one in New York City, for instance, was the digital divide. And this was before the, the libraries got computers uh, and buildings. society where had a computer opportunities, and very difficult which was the newspaper that homeless people sold uh, to make some money. Um, we had, we did a, on my fringe TV show, we did a special on it. Um, uh, I, you could hear me talk about these things in kiosks throughout New Jersey. Uh, I was on NJN, which was like the PBS of New Jersey in a partnership with the department of labor. Um, I was, you know, like consider a consultant uh, in New Jersey. I was a human services superhero. <laughs> so it got a lot of uh, publicity and we had people of all sorts, you know, just who wanted to solve the problem. Um, and uh, uh, it wasn't a religion-based uh, initiative where we did it in the name of Zeus or Jesus or somebody. If Because people are religious. They're spiritual. So whatever spirituality you wanted to serve, if you're – if you as a person or your spirituality were concerned with a digital divide, you're welcome to join us. Uh, or if you didn't believe in anything, that was fine too. If you want to solve the problem, welcome on board. So it'll be something like that. And uh, it'll That's honor awesome. a vision I had when uh, I was a kid uh, that involved a, a, a version of uh, Hercules that I didn't find until uh, later in life um, and uh, elementals. So I had sworn that before I left this planet, I would, you know, I would do something to address these things. So that's my personal story part of it. Uh, but basically, it's uh, the consciousness of the Earth, the fact that the Earth in mythology and in our uh, history has shrugged herself off of irritants. And that seems to be happening now. And uh, we don't want to get, you know, like translated back to the Stone Age or, or wiped out altogether. So this is the time for us to band together and uh, we could sort out uh, uh, where we came from, why we're here, and where we're going at another time. But for now, how about we do something about uh, um, all the things that are affecting the balance on this planet and that uh, are against life? And uh, we would do that by picking something in each of the areas and then um, addressing it in any way we can. And uh, the whole thing would be do what you can. Um, you know, if you could, if if you can't do anything but watch your recycling, then watch your recycling. You know, eat better. You know, don't buy certain products because they uh, pollute. Uh, it's just within your own particular uh, situation. What can you do in that situation, and just do that. And that will be the philosophy uh, behind it. But then we'll also have people on to talk about this and uh, what people can do for people who want to get more involved. That's like the old idea of um, think globally, act locally. 
Yeah, think globally, act locally. One of my organizers, she's uh, politically involved in uh, um, Sussex uh, County, and uh, she, she has been uh, uh, concerned with these things. So to her political show, she's been bringing information on, like, plastics and the algae situation, uh, which has gotten really bad here in Jersey and along the, the whole East Coast. Uh, um, and uh, so she's drawing attention to these things, and then we're going to pick one. And just make that the focus of our activity for a while to uh, spread information as much as we can and to see what direct actions we can take and then uh, take them uh, by calling politicians, by signing petitions, by getting out there and uh, marching you know, uh, or getting uh, politicians on the show. I found the local politicians have been very receptive. And even though my show uh, is uh, or my whole channel is kind of fringy. Um, I've had no problem. The, the mayor's been coming on the show, the president of the Chamber of Commerce, uh, 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 candidates for office, uh, people already in office. So, uh, And we've been talking about these things on the show, too. So they're becoming aware that there's a concern, and they're letting people know what to do uh, directly. So that, that's kind of like what I, what I have in mind. So if you'd be interested in becoming part of that, I'll just keep you posted um, and uh, gladly uh, – uh, get you in either through speaker phones or just give you a call afterwards, let you know what's going on in the meetings, and uh, uh, you're more than welcome to do that. That's awesome. Thank you. And I, I wonder if you can, if you could maybe write a couple of paragraphs that describes that. Um, I um, I have a little press, Red Serpent Press, and we are right now con uh, collecting contributions for an anthology on magical activism. Magical activist rights is um, the working title, and we're we're all madly creating um, rituals. I think I mentioned that when I I went to the Northwest Detention Center, I felt the need to be supported while I was there, and yeah. also people come up to me and say that they. They need, um, they have a, a, a fierce desire to put some energy into, um, magical energy into to, um, helping to shift what is happening. And there, you know, you can pick a, a front because there's an assault on virtually every front that, that you can think of. So we're, um, we're very quickly putting together something that we can throw out and say, here's, um, here's some things that you can do. So if you could write a couple of paragraphs, that would be awesome because it's a wonderful program. The Argonaut idea is a, is a very attractive idea. Get, get some of your friends together and pick an adventure and go on that adventure. That's a really good idea. Uh, thank you. Yeah, I've, I've been uh, that I'm a Lemnian Greek. So that's the island where the Argonauts went with the uh, women warriors, uh, the Amazon. So uh, that story has always uh, resonated uh, with me. And uh, um, that's like one of my guiding myths uh, throughout my life. So thank you. I agree with Brandy that it's a wonderful idea. And I also particularly like you, the Tom. idea of focus, focusing on one issue every month. Because if you try to cover everything, your energies are going to be scattered and nothing yeah, is going yeah. to be accomplished. But if you have a large number of people focusing on one issue, you mentioned before um, the, the algae buildup on the East Coast. I mean, just recently there was a woman who lost three dogs. Yes. Um, right. some, it, was, yeah, it was somewhere on the East Coast. They, they went for a swim in a creek and, and you know, within a short period of time they were dead. It was, yeah. it was absolutely horrific. Um, so the idea of focusing on one issue for a month at a time, getting everyone focusing on that one issue is brilliant. And then once you've made progress with that issue, then move to the next one. I, I really, really like that idea. That resonates with me. Thank you. 
So, okay, so I'll keep you guys posted on what's going on with that. We're having our our first uh, meeting outside of the Metaphysical Center in September, uh, I believe the second uh, Friday. And um, we're going to try to um, structure it a a little bit and start uh, explaining it a little bit. Um, And I'll get something to send you in writing. I sent you the links uh, for the uh, uh, Mythic Adventures already uh, on Facebook. I saw that. Thank you. Cool. And when we last talked, um, you were also um, going to, to write off and create a Theurgy Fellowship. Have you made any progress on that front? Um, beyond outlining, no. It's, it's been very busy here, <laughs> but I haven't forgotten it. Uh, but I started doing, uh, I started honoring uh, um, the uh, six uh, authors that, uh, whose material I used in my uh, Theurgy workshops. And so this week is yours, uh, Brandy, again. So I'm just, uh, oh. <laughs> during the course of a week, just posting every link I know of uh, about the person. And I'm saying that we're the, our tradition of living theurgy in the Order of the Golden Fleece is honoring this person and their works. Uh, and then just including a lot of links. Uh, if you have any biographical information you'd like me to include, if you get it to me, I'll just add it to the link and then taking turns. So next week it'll be Tony again, then it'll be uh, Bruce, then it'll be um, Jean-Louis, then it'll be uh, Cac Young and uh, Marlene Morris. Uh, they're not uh, theurgists per se, but their material is very theurgic, and I've been using it in the uh, workshop. So uh, as we add more theurgists to that list, uh, at least you know, spread awareness uh, uh, to the wonderful things that uh, you guys are doing. And if you do uh, send me in a PM or in an email uh, anything you'd like me to highlight at any time, I'd be more than happy to include it uh, on my timeline, you know, to write a little something. Um, I've been doing that uh, here in Tenafly. I'm a champion of the mayor's wellness campaign, uh, and I'm uh, as involved as I can be in the myriad health uh, initiatives that are uh, happening in my community. And um, it's, it's amazing. Once you start focusing on all the positive things happening, and you discover that you can't even keep track of all the positive things that are happening. And you're focusing on the positive things, takes your attention away from all the negative things you're hearing, uh, that your life mm-hmm. becomes transformed. All of a sudden, the, the world is full of wonderful people doing wonderful things you know, to help their neighbors. So that's one of the advantages of doing that. But um, I've been uh, uh, promoting whatever's drawn to my attention by libraries, by uh, the Jewish Community Center, which does a lot in our community. And uh, I'm on the board for the Chamber of Commerce. So the president said I could spread all optimal wellness things on the uh, um, the chamber site. So I've been doing that and drawing attention to them there as well. Uh, and I'm slowly getting to know people who run other sites about Tenafly and seeing if I could post them there too. So this way there's a greater awareness of uh, uh, free exams, uh, uh, all sorts of initiatives, uh, like free concerts. There's all sorts of things that are there for the wellness of our community. Uh, and even if I could just, uh, the time I have on the computer, uh, if I could spend a few minutes letting an ever wider number of people know that all these wonderful things are around you, just waiting for you to you know, try them or take advantage of them, uh, I feel that's something that anybody can do. And this way we could start flooding the waves with like good news rather than uh, terrible, uh, we're past the point of no return news. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's right. And going back to your list of theurgists, I, I urge you to to remember Patrick Dunn as well. I just used his um, new translations of the Orphic hymns. Um, I, I didn't print them right, but I, I spoke them as the invocations to Hermes and Athena um, at a at a theurgic invocation at Sacred Harvest Festival. So he, he does wonderful work, and I, I encourage you to in, include him as well. I've been inviting him. He, uh, thus far, he's gotten back to me a couple of times, but he hasn't committed to being uh, on any of our shows. But uh, um, sure. <laughs> I, I trust your recommendation, so I will include him. Uh, when we finish with Marlene, I'll add him before going back to you. Yeah, I talked to Alicia about it, and she said he's kind of a hermit, but he does beautiful work. He really does, yes, so I, I want to continue to – I think of us as the Llewellyn theorists, right? So I, I continue to, to urge us to in, include him. Oh, most certainly so. And there are other small conclaves of theurgists throughout the world. So hopefully we'll get all of them uh, speaking together on one day. That's one of my dreams for our forum. Um, Hercules, the, the one thing that really jumped out at me when you were talking about focusing on the many positive things that are happening ties in so well with what Brandy mentioned regarding kids who were, who were suicidal at the moment mm -hmm. because if you follow the news it's so easy to plunge into depression you see all the horrible things which are happening um, almost daily so I think giving people a reminder that there are positive things happening in the world and there are things that we can put our energy into that would certainly instill a sense of hope in people um, one of my organists uh, came up with an idea and she's been doing it on her show. Her name is Astrid. Uh, so now we're spreading it because uh, I, I have four shows now in Sussex uh, County that will be there by next month. So we, I wanted to thematically tie them together, even though they were about different things. Uh, one is an art show. One is a metaphysical center uh, and uh, two are political. Um, but uh, um, Astrid has been, uh, sending me like positive things happening in uh, Sussex County. And uh, the system I worked out, which I'm going to start uh, this weekend, is uh, every day I'm going to post something different, you know, an optimal wellness alert for people in uh, Sussex County. Uh, I'd be honored if you guys can send me stuff to post in your counties. I'd be happy to start on my page. And then all you need to do is uh, um, forward it or if you put it on your page and let me know I'll go there and I'll forward it I'll share it from your page and put it on my page um, and this way just spread the fact that there are positive things uh, happening and not just in New Jersey I really like that idea and the same in terms of our fellowship, the same uh, goes uh, true if there's anything that you want to promote. If you're giving a talk somewhere, if you're doing a workshop, if you're doing a ritual, if uh, uh, you're on another uh, radio or video show, uh, just let me uh, know. And I'd be honored to help spread that word because uh, um, you guys are right. We have to help each other out. There, there's not that many of us on the planet. So we have a lot of uh, responsibility. That's wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. It's nice to know that um, we're all on the same team. We're all after the same thing. Um, Tony, you had said uh, you'd drawn attention to the uh, uh, plight of uh, endangered animals, and I believe it's today or yesterday's uh, post. I just saw it uh, this morning, uh, and I wasn't aware that uh, um, 
the hunting was being allowed uh, for endangered animals again. Uh, I know that some of the uh, environmental legislature was putting animals who are in danger lists uh, into circumstances that almost guarantee their extinction, but I wasn't aware that people were hunting uh, endangered animals again. Um, it's certainly um, starting to, to be allowed, and it's not just here. Um, it, it's also happening in Brazil, um, where trophy hunters will be allowed to shoot jaguars and other wildlife for sport. So we're talking parrots, otters, monkeys, so they can either be killed or captured alive, even in nature reserves. So they can capture them and, uh, and then sell them to places. And the thing, we're talking about um, national treasures, the, the, the animals in, in, in the Amazon are national treasures. And what the... Um, what the Brazilian leader is doing is, is absolutely criminal. He's opening up indigenous people's lands for gold mining, for logging. Um, he doesn't seem to have any respect for, for anyone or anything. It's, it, it's all about generating profit. And we've got pretty well the same, the same sort of thing happening here. Um, I think that if anyone's, those people who are listening to us, think that we probably sound very anti-conservative or, or anti-Trump, but the thing is, I'm sure if we had a liberal government in power, there'd be things we wouldn't like there as well, and we'd be fighting against those too, and I, I think it's, it's important that we don't necessarily identify ourselves with a particular party, but we're, we're trying to chase an end where we're trying to make the world a better place. We're trying to improve the quality. Um, we're trying to improve the well-being of, of the environment and the animals that live in that environment. And if there are any injustices happening either under any government, then I'd like to think that we'd be, we'd be um, targeting those. Yeah, the way I put it is that um, uh, human rights aren't, aren't a partisan issue. They're, they're everyone's issue. So, yeah, um, it's easy for people to, to take that tack and to, to polarize. But um, in the, the Human Rights Council that I work with in my county, we've worked very diligently to keep this as a, a very nonpartisan conversation and just talk about what needs to be done rather than who yes. is doing it, right? So I think that's the, the way to go. Um, I think that's very important. Yeah, I, yeah I that's very good. Thank you for addressing it. Uh, I, I know. Otherwise, otherwise we're, we're going to be dismissed. You're going to have conservatives thinking, "Oh, well, they're they're, they're just Democrats, they're, they're liberals, and they're going to ignore us altogether." But if we're focusing on issues um, rather than who's causing those issues, as Brandy pointed out, then I think we're going to have um, far more pull in the world. I, I agree 100%. And uh, uh, I found uh, that uh, some of my uh, Argonauts are actually conservative Republicans. Uh, so that was very interesting in getting a different perspective um, because they're good people and uh, they just see the world in a different way. And like with the interfaith part of the Argonauts, we don't focus on your particular religion. It's just uh, the shared values and what do we consider important to do. Uh, that is the approach we've been taking with politics also, that uh, um, 
I, how about we forget about the the divide that's polarizing us and focus on things we can agree on, and uh, we'll shelve the other things for now, and let's work on the things we agree on, and then later on we'll we'll discuss the other things. But I found that creating a um, a place where people can discuss what they believe without being ridiculed or without being attacked is a very big step uh, um, uh, forward. Uh, because we're kept apart. A lot of the things that separate us, I'm finding, are uh, misconceptions and uh, differences in the way things are stated or described. And that when you seek clarity, uh, sometimes you find that you have much more in common than you thought you had. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm very heartened by uh, you guys and others who are uh, going out there and doing things uh, in the world um, because uh, the world is calling for that right now and we need to step up the plate uh, and uh, do what we can do. Um, I was just going to, to run with what you were talking about, coming up with, with issues that unite us. Um, we've spoken extensively on homelessness in the past and how it's an issue that has to be addressed. And the thing is that liberals tend to focus on homelessness for everyone, that nobody should be homeless, and conservatives have an issue with that. However, mm-hmm. once you, if you, the thin edge of the wedge is if you start talking about veterans, homeless veterans, then all of a sudden you find that the conservatives are on site because a yeah. lot of them believe that if, some, if someone has served their country, then they should be looked after when they come back. So it's a matter of, well, if, if they agree that homeless veterans should be taken care of, it's a matter of it extending the program somewhat to cover to cover everyone. I mean, there's no reason for anyone to be homeless in this country. There's no reason for anyone to have to do without without health care. There's no reason for anyone to, to go hungry in this country. It's like, if not the richest country in the world, then, then one of the richest countries in the world. Yes, That's and I, I find... Um, in this county, that homelessness is an issue that, that does um, unite people across the political spectrum. So the Salvation Army is a very conservative organization, but they're the people who are providing the right-up front, front-line services to people who are homeless. So it's definitely something that, that brings people together. And it's a, it's a crisis in my county. Our housing is so expensive here that people just end up on the street with one, one bad piece of luck. Um, so, so it's it's certainly something to to pay attention to. But but to your point, Tony, absolutely, it's it's something that um, that isn't at all a political issue. It's it's across the spectrum. Um, Brand, I've got a question about the Salvation Army, and you, you you'll be able to clarify this for me. I've heard murmurs that the Salvation Army will provide accommodation for people, but they discriminate against gays and transgender people. Have you heard that? And it's it, it, in in my county. It was an issue. The Salvation Army provides a shelter of last last resort. If you don't have a place to go, they do have a place where they can you can put your head. But they will um, um, target uh, gay gay folk and ask them not to come to the shelter. So that surfaced at our our local um, community, and that leadership was replaced by leadership that is more inclusive. So it's something that we pay attention to on the Human Rights Council, and it's also something that um, that that people pay attention to in the community. Um, I, I believe that the the organization itself um, isn't isn't discriminatory, but individuals are, and and you do have to stay on top of that. So it's true. Um, 
but uh, it is also true that they are the the biggest um, supplier of beds for people who really don't have any other place to go. Who literally are, literally are on the street, right? In in in, um, in my county, in the woods, at um, at the homeless event where we we provide services for people, we hand out sleeping bags and tents because that's where people are sleeping. I'm so glad that they're making headway with that discrimination issue. And I'm, yeah. I'm actually really glad I asked that question because that, that had been a concern for me. At the end of the day, people are people. It doesn't matter whether they're transgender or whether they're gay. Um, they they all deserve to be treated with dignity. And we shouldn't discriminate right. against anyone. I worked for the Salvation Army uh, years ago in uh, New York City. And uh, what you said is true, Brandy. It, it seems like each place has its own kind of rules. Um, but I've always been openly Olympian, and uh, I found that uh, they didn't discriminate against me. In fact, they wrote an article about me in one of their uh, uh, newsletters, uh, and I didn't run in, into any issues at all. And in the shelter uh, where I was doing uh, work, um, they didn't seem to discriminate against uh, people who were gay or uh, culturally different or uh, on religious grounds. They were pretty open uh, to everyone, at least the one that I worked for. Fantastic. Do you, uh, Brandy, do you work with any of these organizations like uh, the Salvation Army Goodwill uh, to find people housing or? Yeah, I'm, I'm sort of one level up. So I did um, participate in the point in time count in Kitsap County because I wanted to see on the ground what it looked like. Um, so I, I helped to interview people who were homeless. We talked to them about um, we had a series of questions we asked. When was the last time you had real shelter and what was it that put you on the street? So I got exposed to a, a cross section of what does put people on the street. One of them is, uh, to Tony's point, one of them is that uh, veterans, veterans are, don't make enough money. Um, they, they aren't given enough uh, funding to be able to have housing. If, if all you're living on is, is your veterans check, it puts you on the street. So that's a that's a um, tragedy. Also, people who have had um, big hospital bills that will put you on the street, and mental illness that's a really big issue. Um, that also can can um, cause you to to lose your your home. Um, some people prefer to be on the street, uh, but that was a very small percentage. Most people, yeah. if you ask them, do you want do you want housing? They go, yes, I really want housing. So it's um, it's definitely something that's a, a need. Um, so, so then, what I do on the, the Human Rights Council, we um, we organize educational opportunities for for people to learn about this, and also to bring people together who are in the the various um, services to coordinate efforts. Um, we find mm -hmm. that one of the things we find is that there are people who fall through the cracks. So there are um, there are programs for veterans, or there are programs for mothers with children. But there are people who um, don't fall into one of the categories that you can get them funding, and those are the people that we're most concerned about. So there's a um, I kind of work on the the um, coordination administrative effort. Um, that's that's kind of where I put my my energy. And it's again, it's something that's the, the top of mind for us in, in my county just now. Oh, awesome! And uh, Tony, uh, where are you? Uh, uh, I know you're doing an awesome job raising uh, awareness and spreading uh, information. Where would you like to be with what you're doing? Um, I'd like to feel like I'm making more of an impact. Um, 
the I'm quite jealous of um what Prandy's accomplishing because she sees immediate results. Um in, in my case it's it's like that water slowly wearing away stone and I'm sure I'm making a a, a difference over over time but it's not as evident. Um I should probably get more involved in, in community organizations. Um um Brandy's guilting me. <laughs> I don't think she's doing that. Oh no no no! Please don't. Don't, don't feel guilty. No no. I mean, yeah. in the best way possible. In the best way possible. It it is true that when you get out and meet people, it's it's. I find that that's very important because that's the the one thing that gives gives hope um, immediately. I remember right after the election, the the women's march happened. I don't know if you all remember that. It was um, yes. about a month after after the election, and it was the first time that I felt hopeful after after, after the inauguration. It was the first time I'd felt hopeful since the election, and there were there were so many people on the street that it, it I, I sat and watched for two and a half hours, people walking by. Right. And, and people were not protesting against something. They were going out in the street and telling each other, I am here. We're here as part of the community um, together. So, so when people talk to me about direct action, they, they say that they're frightened to go out in the street and hold up a sign and it, it can be frightening, but I find that um, almost all of the feedback that we get out there in the world is positive and that, Standing next to somebody gives you a sense that you're you're not alone. So I, I definitely alone. encourage people to do it. Yeah, but I know that there are some people who really can't, and I don't um, I don't say that that's the only thing that you can do. That's why we're we're doing a um, an anthology because there are people who really just are not able to do that kind of that kind of thing for whatever reason. Um, and and it's important to do whatever you can to to um, to your point, Hercules. Do what you can where you can, and that makes a difference. Um, so Tony. I think you are making a difference, and this podcast makes a difference. People do listen to these things. <laughs> I've discovered um, what they do is they they download podcasts and they they listen to them in their car. So I'm going to um, run up a, a, a web page on my my site and go link to all the podcasts so that people can download them and listen to them. And there are people who have two hour drives that will will listen to this entire podcast. Yes, I'm I'm wow. surprised uh, that uh, I get uh, people bringing up things that were said in the podcast and asking me uh, questions all the time. Uh, so yes, you know pe- people do listen to it and they refer back to it and they send messages about it and uh, certain guests develop like uh, people are like they're fans and ask when they're going to be on again. So it, it's <laughs> a good thing to spread awareness. And I had a person come up to me. It was it wasn't this podcast, but another one that that was done in 2016, talking to me about what I had said on it. So these things stay out there, and they they are available. <laughs> so so it's a it's a great thing. I really love that that we do this um, discussion, the Theurgy Forum, um, and that you make it available, Hercules. And and Tony, you are a huge inspiration to people. I want to let you know when you sure. when you uh, when I think about um, the 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 great theurgic teachers of the past, I think about the kind of profile that they had in their community, people who were concerned about others, who had great knowledge, who were great teachers, and in particular, who were caring for animals. And you hit all those marks. So <laughs> you're, you're a, a, a wonderful example, and I, I, I want to encourage you to understand that you really are making a difference in the world. That's and you're so great. kind of you to say that. I'm, 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 I'm really touched, Brandy. And I just wanted to point out one thing. I first came across one of your books um, I think it was in 1990 it was on ecstatic ritual and oh, yeah. I remember, I remember, 
I, 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 rem- I remember going through it and thinking, whoa, this, this, this woman really knows her stuff. I was totally impressed with you in 1990. And here we are a couple of years later chatting away. And so I've been impressed with you for, for decades, literally. Yeah, I know. Because <laughs> I'm old. Go ahead, Hercules. <laughs> <laughs> we're the, I think we're the same vintage. You know, perhaps we should end that there. I don't really want to talk about how old I am. <laughs> Uh, I found that book early on too, but I didn't equate it with you because uh, I read the book a long time ago and it was in a box somewhere. Uh, and then when I was researching you were on the show, I said, "Oh, she wrote that," you know. And I promptly found it and dug it out. Uh, so uh, I was very impressed by that book too. And Tony, you have a quirky sense of humor that is quite awesome uh, as well. Uh, I really enjoy interacting with you, even on personal messages. It's nice of you to call it quirky. Most people call it weird. (laughs) Well, I'm eccentric, and everyone knows that. So weird, quirky, whatever, I enjoy it very much. It's refreshing. I think it comes with the territory, the sort of interests that we have. They're definitely non-mainstream interests. It takes a special sort of person to embrace magic, POG, and whatnot. Um, and we're at the halfway point, so uh, I could use a five-minute break. How do you guys feel about that? Sounds good. Let's do it. Okay. We're going to listen to Brand Kadoria's King of Dreams, and then we will be back.
Greetings and welcome back to Pride of Olympus. This is Hercules Invictus apologizing for the uh, board malfunction, but I have everything back under control. Uh, tonight on our Living Theurgy show, we have our Theurgy Forum with panelist Brandy William and Tony Mearswicki. Greetings and welcome back, O Theurgists. Hi, Hercules. Hi. Hi, Hercules. Hello. Um, Brandy, I sent you another link or two. Um, uh, yeah, I said it. Okay, good. Uh, if you want me to expand on those things to write something for your anthology, I'd be honored to do so. That'd be awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I would love that. 
Now, um, and I had um, I had. Go ahead. Do you have another nope. topic for us, um, Hercules? Otherwise, I can um, I can um, have another topic for us as well. I welcome your topic. You're a font of good ideas. So let's go with yours, and I'll return to mine <laughs> if you have time. <laughs> well, it was from Sacred, Sacred Harvest Festival. I found a very interesting experience. Um, pagans are continuing to call to the gods, and the gods come to them, actually. And um, I, you know, there are people who are coming onto the path all the time. I, I've been on it for so long. I, I kind of, um, I, and I, I hang out with people who have been on it for a long time. So getting contact again with people who are just starting out was very helpful, and I discovered that um, we have things that we can can share and things that we can can talk to people about, and in particular about how to work with the gods, which is the the core of theurgy, right? So how how do you call the gods? How do you find a, a god to work with? And one of the very interesting phenomenon I I am discovering is that gods come and get people, and they don't necessarily know who they are. They um, right. they may have a vision or they may have a um, an, an idea of where they came from, but they don't necessarily come to you and, and uh, say their name. So I, I was like uh, giving people suggestions about where to go. You know, do you know this God? I'm like, well, yes, I think that that might be this God over here. Why don't you check it out, right? Um, so I, I, I thought that that would be a very interesting thing to talk about if we if you were going to we were going to give advice to people who were just starting out. You know, what would we we tell them about how to how to work with the gods? Um, that is a very good question. Um, Tony, do you want to tackle that one? Um, well, it said that like everyone seems to be closer to certain gods than to others. And it said that we don't pick our gods, our gods pick us. So it's like Brandy pointed out, we find ourselves being called. For those people who have a good grounding in mythology, they probably wind up with um, a good idea of who exactly is calling them. For other people, if they just have a non-specific figure who calls out to them, then I can imagine that they would be confused. So I would suggest that people acquire a grounding mythology, get, get an idea of what particular gods are good for. So, for instance, say if someone's a musician, and they find themselves being attracted to a particular god, then um, chances are it's going to be um, either either Apollo or Hermes um, or maybe even Dionysus. Um, it, it's a matter of being receptive to them. And the way you achieve visions of gods, uh, the visions could come in dreams. Dreams are a very common way that, that people find themselves interacting with gods, those who are more sensitive can close their eyes and see a god um, through their third eye. Um, so an ability to meditate would be very important for that. Um, also, having an idea of how the Greeks actually venerated their gods, what you can do once you've made contact with the god, the, the proper way to to engage with that God. So in the case of the ancient Greeks, they would use reciprocity. So it's a matter of making little offerings to the gods and then the God turns around and, and blesses you, gives you the assistance that you need to to get through everyday life. But um, it's just a matter of being open and, and receptive. The thing is that every relationship that people will have 
with with the gods is going to be very different. So you can't really outline how it's going to go in every case. So I'm I'm talking in in fairly broad brushstrokes because the way people get called by gods can be very different. In my case, I've invoked a huge number of gods, and I found that I have more of a connection with some of those gods than with others. Some of them communicate with me on a very personal level and with others they're somewhat more distant so with the ones who I feel closer to they're the ones that I tend to focus on that's just the approach that I've used over the years but I'm sure other people will use very very different approaches I can think of um, a couple of friends of mine who as kids had visions of a um, of a man that had a head like like a dog. It was it was a dog like head. And they didn't realise until years later that they were actually making contact with Anubis. Oh. Um again it's a matter of, of being open, being receptive, letting things come to you and then investigate those things. So it's a matter of so if you're trying to focus on the Greek gods and you get a dog headed god coming to you, it's like, oh, you're going to be somewhat confused. So you may have to look somewhat further afield. But in, in late antiquity, the Greeks tended to um, adopt far more gods from other cultures. Classical Greek culture tended to be very conservative, so it, it took a lot for foreign gods to be adopted. But um, in late antiquity, that seemed to um, break down somewhat. It's sort of a, a long hand waving explanation of um, how, how you can work with the gods. Um, it's, it's synchronistic, uh, Brandy. I recently spoke about this. Um, so uh, uh, a, a lot of uh, what I said uh, resonates with uh, what uh, Tony uh, just said. Uh, it, with my circumstances, I, I was born into the culture. So these stories. Mm-hmm was there and part of my life and uh, uh, the the place where my parentage, my grandparentage is from, they have their stories. So those particular stories uh, were made very uh, uh, relevant. And I happened to be born into the Peplum era, which is the sword and sandal movie era, the Spaghetti Hercules movies. So those <laughs> were also a very, very much a part of my growing up. And, uh, you know, they, they became blended in with the other stories that were more uh, um, tr- traditional. And I remember when my grandparents first came over from Greece, uh, I was uh, very young uh, to visit. Uh, and I was very disappointed that they weren't wearing the costumes that they wore in the uh, sword and sandal movies. <laughs> because I, I just assumed everybody in Greece dressed that way. And I couldn't wait to go to Greece uh, to dress that way, too. Um, so... Uh, I always had a familiarity with uh, the gods, and uh, I in I went to parochial school, which meant that not only did I learn a lot about uh, Christianity, but I learned about all things uh, ancient Greek, including ancient Greek religion, the language, the um, beliefs, and uh, so forth. So uh, I was never really resonant with Christianity. It seemed too dour 
whereas uh, the uh, mythic material uh, always was more alive for me and it made uh, sense for me. So since I was little, uh, because we're Greeks and Greeks believe that uh, you can't let a change of religion keep you from visiting your family. Uh, so even though they said I'm slated for Olympus, they knew that I could visit because we're Greek and Greeks can, can do that. You could visit different heavens uh, uh, that you go to them. So I always had a sense of those uh, gods and they're always very much a part of uh, my growing up. Uh, but I found by dealing with American uh, people in uh, high school that the Americans who were non-traditional in the spirituality and to call themselves uh, pagans uh, or witches, um, they all got Greek mythology at some point, uh, either through school or through their families, or they found it on their own through the uh, scholastic books. And that also produced a resonance in them. And their identifying themselves as pagans or witches had to do with their finding modern uh, uh, Wicca and neo-paganism, uh, which seemed to be the only way uh, to, still, to still attune your spirituality with these ancient figures that they uh, resonated with. Um, having had a wide variety of experiences with uh, the gods of Olympus, I also agree that sometimes you don't always know uh, who it is that's calling you until later on. Uh, Athena was so prevalent in my life that she was invisible. And it took me a long time to get to really detect her because she was so there uh, that I couldn't see her because she was so there. Uh, but then later on, I learned to discern uh, um, her uh, um, communications, her actions, and uh, so forth. I've explored other uh, mythical spiritualities and non-mythical spiritualities. And uh, with those over many years, I spent a lot of years doing that, uh, it seemed like a game of hide and seek. And then I would invariably find uh, the Olympians uh, behind the mask. And this, this tale was told in antiquity where the uh, Greek uh, pantheon fleeing Typhon went to Egypt and wore animal masks. So, uh, uh, that's what I found by exploring different uh, cultural um, uh, iterations, that behind the cultural guises, the same powers were, were present. And uh, after a while, I didn't do that anymore because I didn't need to. <laughs> I already seen that that's a fact, so that's okay. And uh, it, it made me more universalist in my thinking. So now I prefer the Greco-Roman, Mediterranean, Egyptian, yada, yada, um, forms of the gods, because I'm most comfortable with those, and uh, they communicate with me better. Um, but whenever a new pantheon or a new culture comes into my sphere of attention, then, uh, again, I'll, 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 I know what I'm looking for now, so I could find the gods uh, uh, there, uh, too. Uh, getting this whole... Uh, explanation back to what Brandy was originally saying, uh, I would encourage people uh, to become familiar with uh, whatever mythology they resonate more and find which figures in the mythology they resonate with uh, and also the spheres of activity uh, for these uh, divinities because uh, if they're in the same sphere of activity as Tony pointed out, uh, it might be that uh, particular god uh, welcome them into their sphere of activity. Uh, one of the differences I find between uh, what we believe and what a lot of people who are monotheists or ascribe to a monotheistic uh, view believe is that they're here to earn something. 
they're here er, they're here to earn a better afterlife they're here to you know earn a place in heaven they're here to earn uh, karma so they could ascend uh, further uh, whereas in my understanding of uh, what I've always experienced since a child is that we're from someplace and that we're here to do a job so uh, you know um, mixing it in with a the theosophical and other type of uh, um, uh, beliefs that have, that still exist in the present day um, it, it's kind of like for they call them wanderers where uh, they're uh, born into a particular place but they're here to undo the tangle of conditioning that keeps people uh, separated from their spiritual understanding uh, and then help those that want to be helped uh, to bring them back to that spiritual understanding so there you go more than you asked for there it is. <laughs> that, that's sort of like a Greek bodhisattva. <laughs> that's awesome. And so that was fantastic. And, and one of the things I find, too, is that people have, have a tendency to think that there is one God. There, there's going to be one God that will be their specific God. And so yeah. one of the things I was... Uh, I was yeah giving people was this idea that when you when you are attached to a particular deity there is the idea in theurgy of a leader god everybody has one one particular god that um, you kind of descend from but they're all nested in each other it's a very difficult concept to get the the henad idea but they're all in, in in each other each one of the the 12 olympians represents a force and that force is yeah. the one it's everything so you, you get, it's kind of like a, a little Russian doll. Once you get one of them, you get the entire pantheon. And so um, I, I recommend to people um, going through the whole pantheon and, and making some kind of connection with each of those those deities. I did that, uh, I did a year of theurgy practice where I did that. Um, then I had to stop and explain what pantheon was <laughs> because it's not it's not necessarily a concept that, that people um, natively get if you've grown up in a, a monotheistic culture. But I, I, I particularly think that, that that's important. Any Any given deity that you get, you should know something about the context in which they were um, worked or, or where, where they work today. Because to your point, Hercules, they're really very much alive in, in Greece now. I go to Greece and I, yeah. you know, I connect to those deities. People know who they are. So they didn't go anywhere. They're still there. Right, they are. And uh, uh, I'll bring up an example. I, I might have shared this one before, but anyway, um, when I was working in private rehab, uh, and private rehab is basically um, – you either work for insurance companies or for uh, for insurance companies or for lawyers. And if somebody was in an accident and their functioning is not what it was before the accident, so there's all sorts of questions that arise. And if you're in private rehab, you you basically investigate uh, uh, what the person's functional limitations are and uh, what is in the job market and and so forth. So I did that for a while. And um, one day I uh, went to visit someone who I was told was difficult and didn't work with anybody. So I you know, knocked on the door um, and she welcomed me in and she was great with me. And then later on, um, uh, after I helped her through her situation, she explained that she had prayed to Shango. Um, and I showed up wearing a forest hammer with red and white beads uh, <laughs> in response to her prayer. 
So in the process, I learned about uh, Shango and the Orishas, <laughs> and so I, I got to learn a whole new uh, uh, pantheon, a whole, a whole new way of looking at the universe. And again, I played hide-and-seek with Shango and found uh, uh, the strongman hero, the King Hercules, you know, behind uh, uh, that. Uh, and even behind the Greco-Roman guys, you know, there, there's, a, there's a force, there's a power, there's a vibration, there's a ray, whatever you want to call it. But it's very distinct. And each of the cultural guises is an aspect that's real. So a lot of people think that because it's real, they're all different. It's like, no, they're all, they're all, uh, um, they're, they're real. They're more real than we are. Uh, and they live much longer than we do. Uh, but they're still, they're aspects, they're masks. Uh, so th- I found that very odd that uh, uh, I would become uh, I would become a helper in somebody else's uh, um, uh, spiritual worldview without even being aware of the, the spiritual worldview. That's a great story. Um, Hercules, I was I was thinking about how a few minutes ago you were saying that you tended to see the Greek Olympian gods behind all other gods. Well, that was actually something that the ancient Greeks did a lot. Whenever they traveled, they yes. would look at the gods um, in terms of their own gods. So, for instance, if we go through the writings of Herodotus, I've just got a, a really cool list in front of me. So Herodotus, rather than talk about Ptah, he'd talk about Hephaestus. For Horus, he'd talk about Apollo. Osiris became Dionysus. Isis became Demeter. Set Apophis was Typhon, Bast was Artemis, Neith was Athena, Amun was Zeus, Hathor was Aphrodite, Consu was Heracles or Hercules, Min was Pan, Apis was Epaphos. And then when you go through the Greek magical papyri, I've come across references to Thoth, where Thoth is equated with, um, uh, with Hermes. And sometimes Isis is equated with Aphrodite. So, um, Tony, where did you get that list? Uh, I, I need that list. <laughs> to you, um, I actually I have it here. It's in an article. It's it's an academic article by Lucas Livingston. It's called Greek and Egyptian Religious Parallels: Egyptian Gods with Greek Names in Herodotus and Votive Statuary. So it sound, looks like the guy's basically gone through the writings of Herodotus. I, I can give you a link to that if you like. Yeah, yeah, send that link. That's awesome. Having a key like yeah, that is yeah. very, very helpful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it, it's a really handy guide because as as you go through as you go through the writings of Herodotus, you sort of have to convert things back. It's like okay, so which god are they actually talking about? So having a, a list like that in front of you is very, very handy. So oh, it is. And I'm going to I'm going to send it to you now while we're talking because otherwise I'll forget. You have later writings too, like the Viosiniaca, um, that uh, have like uh, these uh, correspondences, like uh, with Hercules, with uh, Zeus and Kronos, in various uh, you know different aspects of Hercules and their equation with different aspects of uh, other divinities beyond uh, those in the Greek uh, pantheon. Uh, with Roman and Arabic and uh, Egyptian, um, there there are all these uh, lists like the one Tony just read, and they're fascinating. And what's really fascinating is where they differ, or why they um, why they equated certain gods with each other. Uh, so I was puzzled initially on encountering the Zeus and Kronos associations uh, 
uh, with my own operant archetype. And it took years of meditation till I saw it and I could see what they were talking about and why. So sometimes the, the, the weird associations are, are the most uh, uh, productive in increasing your understanding. You know, if you try to solve why they would bunch the gods together in that particular way or translate them in that particular way. It all comes down to Jungian archetypes. <laughs> um and I, I think, you know, in, in some cases, too, there was this idea that Athena came from Neat, that Neat um, moved into to Greece from, from Kemet. So there are some connections. There's some really ancient connections there as well. It's more than just uh, an equation that Herodotus made. Actually, Herodotus in his writings stated that everything that the Greeks had in terms of religion came from the Egyptians, which actually is <laughs> I don't know how Hercules feels about that. <laughs> well... Back then, it was fashionable to attribute everything cool to Egypt. So uh, a lot of writers around that time thought very highly of Egypt and uh, um, said that everything came from Egypt. Like right now, we have that everything came from outer space aliens. Uh, with uh, a lot of people in the ancient alien uh, community, like everything humanity's ever accomplished uh, came from ancient aliens. At that time in uh, in Greece, uh, everything cool came from Egypt. Herodotus even said that uh, uh, the Theban Hercules, uh, the story came from Egypt. And in in another part, I think he uh, um, you know basically said there were different people, but uh, he's he's he did make a lot of interesting associations. How do you a lot uh, of evidence that, that many many Greek legends came from the Near East? Yeah, you know, from Babylon, from Babylonian and Sumerian sources. That's very true. Thebes was uh, Thebes in Greece was settled by Phoenicians, uh, part of the Europa story, and uh, uh, Melkart and Anat were deities in uh, Phoenicia and Tyre, and they correspond with Hercules and Athena. Uh, and they are more ancient than, than Greece. But uh, uh, again, beyond even the cultural masks of, uh, of Greece and Rome, uh, the forms that we're familiar with and I feel most comfortable working with, there's, there's an impersonal uh, force that manifests or expresses itself through those different cultural guises. Or at least that's my opinion. Hmm. Brandy, how do you uh, approach uh, um, with uh, with like like let's say uh, we're doing a presentation or you're doing a presentation somewhere and that was what you'd be focusing on? How do you introduce that uh, like the concept like you're saying of pantheon that you had to uh, go back and think that through? How would you introduce the concept of pantheon to a monotheistic uh, audience? Yeah, that's it. So I think. Um, we've we've been coming back to the mythology throughout this this discussion and that was where i found myself going um what I, I i sort of i did one one lecture that was kind of geeky and then i threw all the rest of my notes out and started telling stories 
because I think storytelling is, is where people really connect with, um, with the forces themselves. And the, um, the stories talk about how the forces connect with each other. And, and so that's kind of where I went. There's, uh, there, there are family relationships in the, in the Olympians and the, the idea of this, this 12 deities that are, are almost like a classification system. Uh, and you've, you've kind of been, it, it sounds Hercules like you kind of use it that way too. Uh, we get that from Kabbalah in the, the ceremonial world. Um, we get this idea of a classification system. But I'm um, I'm increasingly like not uh, um, talking to people who find that that's really talking to Jewish witches who find that really appropriative, um, and I, I think it is a, a appropriative, and so I want to respect that and and um, return kind of return to this this Neoplatonic root of the the ritual that we do, um, and so that that's what I that's where I go I go to this idea of the 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 twelve Olympians and the, which is. Um, the the seven planets and five elements right and that gives you your classification system and then that that also gives you the pantheon and you can work with it so that's kind of that's kind of where i go just with this system though i mean there are other pantheons um and and each one of them needs to be approached on its own terms and with respect um so i i, I tell people to go and investigate whatever the deity is that's calling them to investigate all the all the other deities around them is that is that kind of how how, how you do it to hercules Yes, uh, and uh, um, I, that's a wonderful way that you uh, condensed it, and uh, I'm going to contemplate that in my meditations uh, tonight because I like that with uh, the planets and the elements. And uh, um, although I approached the planets and the elements, I hadn't tied them together in terms of the twelve. Uh, so thank you for that insight. I'm going to think about that a lot. Oh, um, it's Manilius. Go to Manilius. Manilius has the the um, the calendar, right? So the the um, planets and elements map out onto the deities and map out onto the calendar. So uh, Manilius is your key. <laughs> One paragraph in the Astronomica. Astronomica. Let me write that down so I don't forget it. Yeah. Yeah, Jean-Louis talks about it in his book. Um, I find again, that... Tony? Tony? Sorry, I was just trying to open up a Word document so I can type that in as well. Okay. Because I'm, I'm going to forget. It was it was Manilius and, and the Astronomica, was it? Yeah, in the Astronomica. That's right. There's one paragraph in the Astronomica where he talks about the um, the the cosmic person, uh, cosmic man, I think it's usually translated, right, where there's this idea that Aries is the head and you go on down to Pisces at the feet, right? Um, and so it's a, it's a grid, essentially, and he takes the Olympians and places them on the planets, um, seven planets and five elements. Um, and they also map out onto the um, onto the year. And I, I've, I've mentioned this, I think, before, that I need to write this up, that that gives you a, a way to then think about placing the Olympians on the body. Um, so you can you can end up um, uh, like the, the Egyptian or Kemetic system of putting deities on the body and the Hindu systems of putting deities on the body. You've got a, one natively in this system as well, in the Greek system, where you can place the, the Olympians on, on the body and be like walking around as, as, as the gods, essentially. Uh, but yeah, and I, I did it from... Go ahead. I'm going to be looking at that because I've been playing with that uh, too. I've been doing uh, work with the Zodiac in addition to the planets. The planets are like the core of my yes. practice. And uh, anyone who looks at my uh, Facebook page can tell that every day there's like a blessing from, you know, one of the planetary uh, energies. Um, and 
Um, I don't really explain it, although occasionally I'll explain it a little, but I do that every day if I can. Uh, and uh, I exercise almost every day uh, too. So um, I, I was working with the Zodiac System by Kak Young and uh, Marlene Morris uh, for about two years now. I've been playing with the system. So I started um, as much as I can with uh, the thought of increasing it, um, focusing my exercises for the body part that corresponds with the day. Oh, yeah. And, uh, oh, yeah, that's so really neat. So I'm going to seek out uh, this information that you just shared and uh, start working on that uh, more. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I find it to be very, very helpful. Um, and it, it, um, and I, I had to do it from memory at, at, um, at Sacred Harvest. I wasn't intending to talk about it. And then I discovered I would have to talk about the Pantheon. But it's very interesting because the, you, you, you normally, you can kind of get the, the planetary deities. You have to remember that, um, that, that Hestia is Earth and Demeter is Saturn, and that's the only one that'll trip you up. But it's the um, it's the deities of um, of the elements that you might not um, get. So Poseidon is water, um, and um, uh, Hephaestus is fire, and Hera is air, and Athena is ether. So Athena is the the most um, rarefied substance, which totally makes sense. Yes, it does. Yeah, and I was thinking when you said about the four elements, I thought, oh, and ether. You've got to remember ether and um, and Athena, the air, the 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 substance in which we move, <laughs> the invisible substance. Uh, Hercules, your invisible substance is Athena. Yeah, she was so invisible that uh, for a long time I just couldn't sense her. <laughs> then then all of a sudden I yes. learned. It took a while. Yeah, and it makes sense when you think about her her connection to ether. Um. In the in the Theosophy of Blavatsky that uh, she brought forth, uh, she had uh, done a couple of articles on the Olympian pantheon as uh, air spirits, as sylphs, um, uh, who dwelt in the ether. So I'm going to see if I could dig that out and uh, reread it because uh, that, that came to mind. So it might contain some interesting information. I was just thinking while you guys were talking that that different zodiac signs are aspected to different parts of the human body. If you could aspect the Olympian gods to the zodiac signs, you'd better have um, a system of correspondence. I'm not oh, sure if anyone's tried yeah, that. Yeah, that's Manilius. Um... Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he does um, that. He, he, he actually has a grid. So you can, you can see it in the paragraph. He, he associates each of, the, um, each of the Olympian deities with one of the astrological signs. That's how you get the, um, oh, wow. the connection to to the body. Yeah, yeah, it's it's right there. It's right there in Manilius. Um, so it's I'm fascinating. And John Louis talked about it, um, but he didn't quite get the idea of putting the Olympians on the body. He went to the chakra system, and I said, No, no, you can do it. You know, <laughs> it's like a, a it, it's it's right it's right there. I'll I'll type it up. I I'll, I'll try to um I'll try to write it down and and um, put it in one of my blog posts or send it to you guys. Because it's a it's a very yeah. simple thing once you see it. Um it's not it's not um obvious, but he said he puts it all in the in the text. And so when you when you just make a, a grid and, and, and put it up it becomes really, really clear. 
Um, and it's very exciting too, because then um, it opens up all these possibilities of, of relating the the um, the Olympian deities to the astrological signs, which which more or less corresponds to the the month. He was talking about a calendar. That's what Astronomica is, and it's not quite the calendar month that we see. But he's talking about the the duration of the zodiac signs. Speaking of calendars, uh, do you guys observe any particular uh, calendar? Uh, in your mythic spirituality, like uh, uh, I know a lot of reconstructionists, uh, it's like the Athenian calendar or you know one of a number of calendars that they uh, follow. Um, even though I follow the days of the week and uh, the zodiac, uh, I'm not really uh, wed to any particular ancient calendar. I'll defer to Tony. I've been talking a lot. <laughs> Um, a, a lot of a lot of Hellenic reconstructionists will use the the lunar calendar, and there's a certain beauty to it because um, you have to wait till the the crescent moon is first visible, and that's the Numenea, the the first day of the month. And then you've got the day, the day of Agathos Daemon, and and so so on. You work through the entire month till you get to the thirtieth day, which is the the, the day of Hecate. Um, a really cool thing about it is that as you go out at night and you have a look at the moon, you know roughly what day it is. So when the moon is half light, half dark, it's it's the day of Apollo. Um, so it, it's you know what day it is just just by the shape of the moon. Um, so it does have its advantages, but the problem is that while you can monitor where you are. By by looking at the moon, you're out of sync with the rest of the world. Um, so, if I'm working with with the Hellenistic god, with the, with the Hellenic gods, I find myself working with the lunar calendar. But quite often, I find myself, like you, Hercules, working with the days of the week because that is what we experience now. And you've got one of the seven planetary gods aspected to each of the days of the week, and it's far easier to to, um, to, to blend in with that. So in, in my case, I have a color for each day of the week. I have a fragrance for each day of the week. I have a particular ring that I wear for each day of the week, and it helps me to attune to the planetary energies that, that you have every day. To work both at the same time starts to become somewhat confusing, but I'm sure that there are some people who do it. Wait, I want to know about the oh, ring. Oh, oh, what kind of ring? <laughs> Do you like wear um, oh, copper well, on Friday? Well, no. Actually, the, this, with the system that I work, Friday is, is lapis lazuli. That's the stone that's aspected to, to Aphrodite. Um, Sunday is, is gold for the sun. You need a gold ring. Um, for Monday, you need a silver ring. Um, there, are, there are a couple of departures where... Um, the the list of stones the thing there is a list of stones and metals that you need in in the PGM texts and it ties in with um with what we know about Apollonius of Tyana he was supposed to have had a ring for each day of the week so it was it was something that he was doing um, I I have a list of that of of the particular stones and and colours for for each day of the week in 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 um in my book Greco Egyptian Magic. Um, but I, I, I make a couple of departures. For, for Saturday, I'm, I'm supposed to be wearing um, a black obsidian ring, 
I, I couldn't find one, so I actually went a black star diopside ring, which is which is really cool. It's a, a nice four eight star. Um, for for Tuesday, I wear a star sapphire ring, and Wednesday, the day of Hermes, I I wear um um uh, turquoise, and the turquoise that I look for is turquoise that has like little specks of orange in it, and you can get that coming from India. Thursday is um is amethyst, and Friday, like I said, was was lapis lazuli. So there's a stone for each day of the week, and and there's also a fragrance for each day of the week. There's a color that you wear for each day of the week. It's all about blending in with the energies of the day. It's something I've been doing for for years. And one really cool mundane thing is if I look at a photograph of myself wearing a particular shirt color, I know what day of the week it was taken on. (laughs) So, for instance, I I went to Monument Valley years ago, and I'm wearing a red shirt. It's like, uh uh-huh. I was there on a Tuesday. Yeah. And, and you've just added months of fun to, to my daily activities. Thank you, Tony. <laughs> well, I mean, left, left to my own devices, I'd be wearing black or denim every day. So this forces me to, um, <laughs> to expand my wardrobe and then have different colors. Yeah, it, this sounds like lots of fun, and uh, it, it'll reinforce the affirmations that I tell myself on each of the days. So uh, if I had uh, colors and stones and things like that, and uh, it, w- it would reinforce that that's the day and what I'm focusing on for that particular day. Can, can, I, can I share something with you? Um, years sure. ago, I, I saw an interview with, with Clive Barker. And I'm a I'm a huge Clive Barker fan. He was responsible for Hellraiser, which is um one of my um favorite series of horror movies. And he was wearing a black leather suit jacket with pants and a brightly colored shirt. And it suddenly dawned on me that that look would work with any color. Mm-hmm. So if you want to dress up, you know, a black suit jacket or a black leather suit jacket and um, a nice business shirt for, for for the color of the day, and you're set. So no one really realizes um, that, that you're following a, a system of colors. You know, that on is Tuesday awesome. you, you need red. On 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 Wednesday it's orange, and Thursday's purple, and Friday's blue, Saturday black, um, Sunday yellow, Monday gray or silver. And that takes us back to Tuesday, which is red. Yeah. Unless you're following a theosophical system, then Sunday would be blue. Uh, Monday would be clear. Uh, Wednesday would be gold yellow. They have their own uh, way of, uh, uh, they focus more on the rays, but you could tell very um, clearly that it's based on the planetary system because they rearranged it to our current understanding of the the planets, but some of the authors didn't quite understand uh, the roots of uh, the colors that were assigned and why. Uh, but but it's an interesting study. I like looking at things that don't make sense because uh, if you contemplate them enough, they lead to uh, insights and understandings you might not have gotten otherwise. Like the equation yeah, of, the, of the 12 labors, uh, uh, there are some glaring holes in that. It's, it's a Procrustean bed at, at best. Uh, it's widely used, so understanding it is important, but uh, there already is a constellation of the Hydra. They put the crab uh, from the, the Hydra, and it represents uh, cancer. Um, so very interesting the way that it doesn't fit rather than the way it does fit. 
Mm-hmm. And of course, there's the Golden Dawn system of colors as well. When when I used to work within the Golden Dawn system, um, you know, four of the colors that I use match the Golden Dawn colors, whereas the other ones don't. So I would have been wearing different colors on some of the days and different stones or, or, or different metals. So as Brandy pointed out, um, on Friday I would have been wearing a copper ring and I would have been wearing a green shirt. Yeah. Yeah, I rather thought that that came from the ancients. So I didn't think of it as a Golden Dawn system, but Neoplatonic. Um, well, but they, now you've got me thinking about up, where it came from. Well, they actually come up with a really, a really cool explanation of why they use that particular color. They they pointed out that Aphrodite landed on the island of Kypris, and that was known for its copper mines. So you've got copper. As copper oxidizes, it turns green. green. So you've got the <laughs> color green. You've got you've got the metal copper. Yep. So that yeah, was so kind of the there. explanation. Yeah. That they used, and and also um, they they use the they use um, rose as as the fragrance for Aphrodite. Um, so some of the explanations that the Golden Dawn use um, make make a hell of a lot of sense. Um, whereas me using lapis and blue for for Friday ties more in with the um, with the descent of Anana. Mm. Um, so, so you're the you're the PTM expert. Um, yeah, so so doesn't it uh, doesn't the P, the Greek magical papyri they have those associations though right the colors in the uh, yes. the planets well, specifically okay. the planets and the days or the planets and the um the colors in the elements uh, uh, yeah, metals they, they they yeah they they use the same they use they have particular um gods for each day of the week and there is a list of seven stones as they call it for for each day of the mm-hmm. week and. And from that, you can infer seven colors. But what I did when I came up with my seven colors was um, I used those stones as a starting point, and then I looked at um, um, the, the seven colors of a particular ziggurat, which was excavated. And then when you look through the writings of Herodotus, he talks about the colors of the seven gates in Ekbatana. So there, yes. was, there was a correlation between the ziggurat colors and the gates of Ekbatana colors, and I tied those in with the seven stones to, to give me the to give me the seven colors. So um, yes. that's basically how I got my colors, and four of those colors match with the golden dawn colors. The the, the remaining three don't. Oh, but interesting! It's just it's just a system that 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 work that I've been using for for the last almost twenty years, and I find it works well for me. Um, so I would encourage people to try it. If they don't like it, then at least they've given it a go. They can they can stick with the Golden Dawn colors, or um, or the Theosophical colors. It's a matter of finding a particular set of correspondences that you resonate with and and working with those. And that's what I love about theurgy. Uh, you, it's a living tradition, and just by what you're talking about now, it, it encourages uh, you know experimentation. You start off when you're learning something with the basic understanding uh, that somebody else is uh, helping you with. Uh, but once you've claimed it and made it your own and make it your path, then you might find something very different. And uh, if that works better for you, then that's what you use. And uh, um, I love that about. Uh, um, you know, the spiritual explorer aspect of what people term magic. 
I'm actually a, a great fan of that as well. I, I love eclecticism because it ties in with what was being done in late antiquity. Um, the city of Alexandria was the center of the Hellenistic Empire, and it was a point of, of cross-cultural mixing. So people would take traditions from the length and breadth of the Hellenistic Empire, mix them all together, and come up with their own systems. So that's mm-hmm. why you had um, things like Hermeticism and Gnosticism and Mithraism all, all coming into being. It was a, a very exciting time to live in. And in many respects, the time that we're living in now echoes that because we have access to all sorts of knowledge we didn't have before. The, the Internet is, is, is the information superhighway. We can access whatever information we want online from the comfort of our own living room. It's, um, it, it's absolutely wonderful. People can cobble together their own systems. And something that you cobble together that you resonate with is going to be far more powerful for you than anything that someone else will teach you. Yes, I agree. Israel Regardi said that in one of his books. I'd, I'd love to remember which book that came out of. But he said that, that a simple ritual that you write yourself will be far more powerful than a more ornate, complex ritual that you try to learn from someone else. I'm, I'm paraphrasing what he wrote, but it was something on those lines. And that was, that was a thought that stuck with me for years. And I, I believe it to be true. I believe it to be true as well. One of the things that was brought up today too, uh, and I believe uh, um, both of you had mentioned uh, it uh, in what you were saying, was that um, that our relationship with the gods is a relationship, and relationships vary. And uh, when I talk to uh, beginners, I, I tell them about that too, that uh, for a lot of people, uh, they buy um, information, try to follow it, which is kind of like how to get a date or how to pick somebody up type of books. You know, and this is uh, the favorite uh, drink. This is the favorite food. This is the favorite this. This is the favorite that. Um, um, and they don't understand that, again, there are dating rituals. There are like relationship rituals. And our relationship with the God is, is very similar. And uh not that those things aren't nice, but they take second place, I believe, uh, to the real living relationship you have with uh, Olympus, that, that that's what you're aiming for. And just like in um, a relationship with a person, uh, doing those things that are nice is nice. You know, um, my wife and I still go on dates, uh, you know, fairly often uh, with each other. Um, but it's our relationship that's the important uh, thing. And that those things are kind of like the icing on the, the cake rather than the cake itself. You know, the cake itself is quite uh, uh, different. Um, and um, a lot of people get caught up in the ritual and then they get lost in it at, at the cost of establishing a real uh, communication. Um, some people don't seem to want to have a, uh, a mature relationship with the gods. They seem to want to be the gods' uh, pets or the gods' children. And that's the sense that I get a lot of times. That was such an interesting thing you just said. And we should definitely like mark that down to do an entire hour on that one, Hercules, because that's fascinating. What an interesting thought. Well, thank you. Yeah, yeah. And and, uh, as long as we're... we're, Go ahead, Tony. 
Um, there's a lot to unpack there, but you started off by talking about dating rituals and and dating uh, dating advice. The thing is that every situation is individualized, and the way you go up to a pretty girl in a nightclub is going to be very different to the way you go up to a girl in a museum or an art gallery. You know, you have to you have to tailor response for a particular situation. Um, right. And then talk, talking about relationships with gods, every relationship is going to be different. Um, the Greeks appeared to be fairly vague in what constituted a relationship, and it was just a matter of being respectful, basing that relationship on reciprocity, making offerings, um, but, but just being respectful, doing the right things towards the god, doing the right things towards your family, and and to your country. So long as you covered all those bases, every, everything was fine. Um, but I've previously talked about people who were possessed by the nymphs. They would actually leave society, go off and, and live in caves, typically. They would um, plant gardens and the like, and their caves would become places of pilgrimage. And there's a, they were referred to as being nymph-possessed. So mm-hmm. they were like the only ones who, they were almost like the um, predecessors of, of the hermits in the um, in, in, in the Greek tradition, you know, the desert fathers in the um, in the Greek Orthodox Church. Most other people seemed to be quite happy either staying in the city and going off to various temples and venerating the gods on 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 the particular days when they had their feast days, and then you had other people who lived in more rural areas and their relationship tended to be more in terms of the weather than, than anything else. Um, they'd be praying for rain, they'd be praying for abundant harvest. They were far more far more vulnerable to the elements. It was the same thing when when sailors would go out to sea. They'd be they'd be praying to Poseidon for for safe passage. Um, there was a, a sense of wonderment in, in ancient Greece. So long as you were respectful towards the gods, I, I can't imagine being a god's pet. <laughs> it's a, a really bizarre idea, but I can imagine some people may want that. But um, I don't really know what to say to that, other than <laughs> well, apart from well, treating the gods well, respectfully, well, you've got to treat yourself with respect as well. Yeah, unfortunately, we only have like four minutes, so I wanted to let Brandy share what she wanted to share, and then uh, we'll wrap up, but it'll be a to-be-continued, and we'll pick that up uh, next time, because (laughs) I see that that very clearly, and I inquire about it, and uh, I I still have that impression after asking the question. So, uh, Brandy? Yeah, I mean, one of the, the places my work centers is in the kind of relationship that we have in the Thelemic world, which is a little different. We relate to Nuit and Babylon, and they have really two aspects. They have the aspect of the mother and the lover. So it's all about the, the kind of relationship that you have. Um, and it's really more about the lover, which is more of a peer-based kind of relationship. So the idea that um, that people want to be um, the God's children or pets, I do find that out there. And I think that it's a it's a very interesting thing to to go investigate. So I want us to, to mark that down. And I also, um, Hercules, as, as I was, I've been listening to us talk about mythology, there's a lot of 
new mythology. There are a lot of uh, ways that the gods are continuing to express yeah. themselves in the world. And since you're so centered in the, the traditional um, culture, I'd really love to get your perspective on, on how you feel about um, um, the, the new, new mythologies, right? So that would be a, a very interesting conversation I'd love to have. We we can have that uh, next time uh, as well, uh, and I have a lot to say on that. That's, I, I'm really into the new mythologies as well. Um, how can folks get in contact uh, with you, Brandy, and enter your world? You can go to Brent. Uh, brandywilliamsauthor.com you should definitely subscribe to my newsletter because I'm about to um, transcribe the the um, workshop that I gave at the OTO convention and do some other things so you, you, it, to, to keep up with me definitely subscribe to my newsletter and the form is on brandywilliamsauthor.com Thank you and Tony For me Facebook would be easiest um, just, just one more thing we're talking about new new mythologies I would love to talk about Hollywood movies. A lot of Hellenic Reconstructionists <laughs> look at movies and they get ver- and they get very upset about departures from from um, fr- from the legends as we know them. You know, Hollywood sort of taking liberties with the with the facts or with the myths, I should say. I think that might be an interesting topic for discussion as well. I, I have a show sent about that. Um, but anyway, I, I was just informed I'm going to be cut off in 90 seconds. Thank you so very much. I always enjoy these uh, talks that we have, and I always look forward to them. So uh, thank you, and I look forward to our next conversation. Thank you so much, Hercules. I'm so happy to be here. And thank you, Tony. Thank you, Hercules, and thank you so much, Brandy. It's always a pleasure. And thanks to all who joined us tonight. Until next time, uh, Randy and Tony and Hercules wishing you joyous journeys and happy adventures. Thanks for listening to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network. Join us seven nights a week for exciting programming covering a variety of expressions of faith. And remember, all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. 